Wow. Thanks, Jeff, team. This is a good morning already. I'm ready to go get breakfast. Let's do it. Hey, a uh, couple things. One, um, some of you may not have known this. You're on the church email, but um, maybe you've heard it then already. But uh, Ruth McMillan passed away this past week. And if you're newer to our church, you may not have been able to meet uh, Ruth because she was kind of homebound the last uh, few years. Um, but uh, we're having a memorial service here on Tuesday for her right here in, in this room uh, at 11 o'clock. Um, if you could make it, that'd be great. But Ruth was, uh, Ruth was one of those uh, people that, uh, oh, she was, I don't, it, you say the words and it just doesn't do it justice, but she was like one of the pillars of this church. And uh, man, you get into Ruth's presence and pray with her you were brought into the presence of God. Or if you asked her to teach a scripture, she would just sit back and, well, and then she'd just start unloading. <laughs> and uh, there was a lot I learned from her over the years, and uh, we're going to miss her a lot. But uh, just want to let you know that if you, you were not aware of that. And please be praying for Sam and his family um, as well. Uh, this morning, we're going to continue um, in our fasting, um, but I, I got to tell you guys, I, I wish you could see it from this side. Um, I can't believe this, but we're already, as a staff and elders, starting to talk about running out of room. <laughs> this place is getting, uh, starting to get filled up in both services, and uh, so pray for the staff and the elders because we really don't want to talk about it. So, uh, God, I'll take care of it somehow. We'll hire Bob Falkenberg. He'll do it all, and then we won't have to worry about it. So, I don't know if Bob's here to say amen, or he's going to prayer block that. But, uh, so, this morning, though, we're, we're going into our fast the second week, and uh, what's our fast? Um, and if you don't understand what a fast is, we actually have a booklet you can get online, um, or you could go to the office and ask for one, but just email the office and say, hey, I'd like that fasting thing that kind of explains what it's about, uh, and that can give you greater detail on it. But we're encouraging everyone who calls this church home to skip. It's one hour, for one, one hour a week for four weeks. So not one hour a day, but one hour a week where you skip a meal or you skip your favorite TV show or your video game time or whatever, and, and you spend that time praying. And uh, praying for kind of, we're just saying, hey, let's pray together as a body. So last week's theme we just finished, it was evangelism. This week is going to be for healing and, and to pray for healing for those you know and, and, and to pray that God, I'm going to encourage you to, to say, God, would you give me someone to pray for this week? Literally to ask, can I pray for you? Uh, someone who's sick, somebody who needs healing. Um, so we're going to take that kind of that risk and step out and ask God to lead us that way. And also encourage you, if you can, to make one night out of these this four weeks uh, to the river, which is our time of prayer over on Wednesday nights, 6:30 in the in this room over here off the foyer. So we're going to look and come back now to James. We, we skipped ahead and preached the last part of a section, and, and now we're going to catch up and, and read the whole section here. It's James chapter 5. And it says this, Is anyone among you suffering, let him pray. Is anyone cheerful, let him sing praise. 
And verse 13 is really attached to the previous seven verses, so we're going to kind of connect that one to those in the, in the weeks to come. But verse 14 is where we're going to really hang out. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he's committed sins, he'll be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another. Pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Elijah was a man or woman just with a nature just like ours. He prayed fervently. Well, I guess he wasn't a woman. He was a man with a nature like ours, woman and female. He prayed fervently that it might not rain, and for three years and six months it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. We're going to focus on 14 through 16 here. And this is a, this is a unique passage because this is, I, this is the only passage where it gives a specific prescription for any Christian, no matter what era of time you live in or what country you're in. It's a prescription for what you do when you're sick. And it says, is anyone among you sick? Let him or her call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him or her, anointing them in the name of the oil, or anointing them with oil in the name of the Lord. You know, as you look at this passage, it's, um, it's ironic that this passage of healing is one of the biggest passages that Christians have fought over for as long as the church has been around. Isn't that, it's like a tragic irony. Christians fight over this thing because there's these bold, crazy promises. You will be healed. The prayer of faith will heal you. You confess your sin, you will be healed, you'll be raised up. These are incredible promises. And, and there's, the fight happens when there's some people who come in and, and, and they pray and they don't get healing and, and they begin to develop this theology out of pain or hurt or it's dangerous because you don't want to get people's hopes up. And so they say, oh, that was back then, but that's not now. Or, or they were hurt because somebody came to them and said you had sin when it wasn't about their sin at all. And so they just say, stay away from this passage. Let's not practice it. Don't ask, don't tell. Kind of like the military. And then you got on the other side those who do practice it, and some of those go to an extreme, and these are extremes on either side. Extremes is what I'm talking about. And, and you have some who go so far as to say, everything is going to be healed, and if it isn't healed, it's your fault. And, and, and it's the name it, claim it. It should be healed. That's what it says right here. You will be healed. But the, the problem with that, and we all know, is everybody dies eventually. And what do we die of? It's not just old age. Sickness. Something breaks in our body and we die. So this healing, they take it so far as to say, no, you know, no one should ever get sick. And, well, it's just not true. And they go too far. And everything inside, you know, most people are like, that's, that's way too far. And that's way too far. Can we be in the middle somewhere? Can we fight for something that's extreme, like the center, and figure out what that looks like? And I think that's what we want to try to do today, is we want to look at this and, and, and look at what God's truth says, his whole truth. 
So we're going to look at these promises, but one of the things, if you're new in your walk with Christ, that as you start to read the Bible, one of the important things to do is when you read something is to ask the question, well, does God say something else like this somewhere else? And if he does, what does he say there? And that's what we're going to do today because there's some incredible promises here, but we also have to look at what God says in other places because it does inform how we understand this. It has to or else you're just going to take this passage and just run with this forever and ignore other passages, and that's the danger. Let God interpret himself is what we're going to do today. And so he says this, Is anyone among you sick? Let him call the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. So obviously sickness, nobody has a problem with that. People get sick uh, throughout all generations. No argument there. Let him call for the elders of the church. What is that about? Um, well, the elders were the spiritual leaders. If you're in a, some churches, call them you know, the presbyters or whatever. You've got uh, all kinds of different ways to call it. But it's the spiritual leaders of the church. Elders is one of the typical words used. And, and why call them? Is it only exclusive to them? Well, no, it's not. You found, in, there's a passage, a story in Acts where some people were ministering and they didn't have the office of elder and yet people were getting healed. And, and some other Christians were coming along to the disciples. The apostles got, oh, we got to shut them down because they're not part of the sanctioned. And the apostles were like, just slow down there, Trigger. It's okay, all right? God's working. It's him. We're good. So there is clearly an instance that was blessed by the disciples where somebody was praying for the sick and they were getting healed, but it wasn't elders. There's another passage in 1 Corinthians where the Holy Spirit gives gifts to the body. This gift of healing is given out to the body. And we're, we're a denomination that believes this still happens, a spiritual gift of healing. But it, it doesn't say that it only is given to elders. So at that point, you've got two different instances where it's clear that God moves through people that aren't elders to pray for the sick and to see healing. And so I want to be clear on that, but why is he saying this? Well, he's writing to churches that are spread out in the Middle East that are part of local bodies. And there's something to be said for the spiritual leadership in a church and the protection that they offer. There's a covering that happens, that God is, he's divinely instituted in every church where the spiritual leadership is the shepherds. They're protecting the sheep from false teaching. They're protecting the sheep from whatever else could come in the church, and they're protecting each person, making sure that they aren't in any way harmed as they move towards Christ. And so that covering is there. It's important. It's part of it. Is it exclusive, meaning nobody else can pray for that? No. But it's part of what God has instituted. And so he says, go, go to the spiritual leadership. And that's another piece of this thing. He says, go. He doesn't say, elders, go find out who it is and go pray for them. He actually puts it on the person who's sick. And that's something that's interesting because there is something to be said for that step of faith that says, help. Now, I know some of you don't like saying that. Like, you're, you're not good at saying help. You don't ever say help. You just like, suck it up. Let's do it. Let's get her done. And so to say, help is almost impossible. And I think it's interesting 
something breaks in a person, pride, independence, and I don't think James is saying that by accident. There is something to be said for you when you are sick to ask help. God likes it. He set it up that way. He says, if you're sick, call the elders of the church, let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. Uh, what's the oil about? Well, you'll find in Scripture over and over again, oil is, is just simply a symbol. It's not magical. There's nothing about it now that I've got the oil on me, I, I'm now going to be healed. It's not like that. Over and over again, you see oil used in the Old Testament and in the New Testament in, in instances of healing, in instances where the king comes in, new king, they pour oil on him, and he's now anointed as the new uh, king of Israel, right? I mean, so there's, there's all kinds of different scenarios or circumstances of it, but it is simply this thing where God, it's a spiritual act, don't get me wrong, there's something sacred about it where somebody is being set apart for the attention of God. Like for the king, it was set apart to rule, but this is set apart, Lord, would you see this person in their hour of need? Would you come and minister to them? They're asking for help. So you're anointed with oil. How much oil? Well, there, it doesn't say. There's places where they, they just pour it on and it's dripping all over. We don't do that here for Sunday, obviously, reasons. But there's whatever. Some people, it doesn't have to be a cross. I mean, it's just, it doesn't say. It just says anoint. So I've tried to find that somewhere. Like, what do you do? Like, how do you put that on and everything? But can't find it. And the prayer of faith, in verse 15, will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. So let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord, and the prayer and faith, or prayer of faith, will save the one who's sick. Prayer of faith. This is where we start to get a little sticky here. What is the role of faith? It, it's an incredible promise, the prayer of faith. And the reality is faith has a significant role to play in healing. When you look in the New Testament, we'll just go with the New Testament and, and the stories of Christ, a Roman centurion in Matthew chapter 9 came up to Jesus and his son was sick and Jesus, you know, he says, can you heal him? And he says, you don't even have to come to my home. You just say the word and my son's healed. And Jesus said to all the people around here, he's like, uh, all the people around him who were all Jews at that time, he says, truly I tell you, with no one in Israel have I found such faith. And he says, your son is healed. Your faith has healed him. Chapter before that, Matthew chapter 8, this woman who was sick for years and years, gone to all the doctors, all the physicians, just reaches out timidly just to touch his robe, and she was healed. And Jesus stops the party and says, hey, wait a minute, what's going on? Who touched me? And he tells the woman, go, your faith has healed you. 
Faith has a significant role to play. In fact, when there is no faith, there was moments where Jesus wouldn't work miracles or couldn't work miracles. It actually says that. He went to his hometown. He couldn't do anything because nobody believed in him. He said that they did a couple of miracles. Another time he told somebody, it's your faith. Your faith is preventing this. Oh, you of little faith. Now, some of you come from backgrounds where this grates on you. And, and, and they they. You diminished faith, and it's all about God, but I'm telling you, the Word of God says your faith is a critical component to healing. And some of you who come from that background need to hear that because your, your faith is weak. You won't step out. You've got a great theology of the sovereignty of God, but you're really weak when it comes to your own faith and understanding that God calls you to step out in faith and to believe. That's a message for you, whoever you are. I don't know. Maybe there's nobody in here like that. On the other side, you can have all the faith you want, and there's stories in the Bible where it doesn't matter whether you have faith or not. Paul, I'd say he had faith. Paul wrote like half the New Testament almost. Paul prayed three different times with faith, God, would you heal me? Take this away. Take this. There's a sickness. Nobody knows what it is. And he was never healed. Well, it wasn't because of his faith. It just wasn't healed. There's another story. Timothy. He was a pastor. I mean, two letters in here are his. They have his name on it. Timothy. First Timothy. Second Timothy. He was an elder, a pastor. He was a man of faith. He was sick. He never got healed. Paul says, why don't you drink some wine with your water? And so for those of you who come from the other extreme over here where it's, it's all about faith and you've got to have the faith, I'm here to tell you, sometimes it doesn't matter whether you've got faith or not. It just doesn't. Because God is sovereign and he's doing something. And that's for you all whoever that is. There was a pastor in, in Missoula. I remember this um, senior pastor of a church, and it was way more charismatic. And they, they, saw, they saw supernatural healings. They saw divine healing happen. Uh, they, they rolled uh, really probably even farther down the road with the, I would say, Pentecostal side of it. Uh, these people had faith. And uh, he contracted, I think it was cancer. Don't, don't quote me on that, but I think it was cancer. And the church rallied around him and prayed, and they felt like they got a word from the Lord that he was going to be healed. Well, tragically, he wasn't healed, or it depends on how you look at it, because in heaven you're totally healed. But he wasn't healed, and he died. But they had so much faith that they kept his body for three days before burying it before giving it to uh, the funeral home or whatever, because they felt like God had spoken to them and they had faith. And he didn't heal them. He didn't raise them from the dead. That's faith. That church rolls in faith. And sometimes it's not about faith. It just isn't. And there's this tension here. 
the scripture teaches both, clearly teaches both. Not only that, he goes on to say, not only the prayer of faith will save the one who's sick, the Lord will raise him up. Then he goes on to another topic. He says, if he's committed sins, here in the middle of verse 15, he'll be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another, pray for one another, so that you may be healed. And now he brings in sin, which makes sense if you read all of James, because the churches were really messed up. They had all kinds of sin, so unhealthy. You, you read through this and go, oh my. And, and if you start reading the rest of the Bible and say, well, does God talk about that in other places? Because he's saying right here that sin is what's making people sick. Now, God's rules, God's laws often get a bad rap, often, a lot of the time, most of the time, get a bad rap. But his moral law actually protects us from sickness. His moral law, if, if we step outside of it, we're, open, we're opening ourselves, our bodies, our minds, our emotion, our spirits, to incredible sickness when we start straying outside those boundaries. We open ourselves up not just to sickness, but to demonization. I mean, that, to, to demons being able to attack us and influence and make us literally sick. That's why he's starting to talk about sin here because it's a component of the healing process. Jesus encountered a woman who was at church for 18 years, synagogue, but we call it a church, 18 years and nobody figured this out. And he goes and he sees her and he goes over and touches her and she's all crippled over, right? And, and, and barely can move, barely can walk and come to find out she's healed, immediately stands up straight, whatever. It was a demon. 18 years, she's walking around a bunch of people who have faith and know God and love God, and nobody's saying, hey, wait a minute. This could actually be demonic, spiritual darkness. Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 11, because they were, that church was really messed up, and they were, they were doing all kinds of bad things, and um, he said, you want to know the reason why you guys are dying? Some of you are dying. Some of you are so sick. It's because you're in sin. I mean, he just flat out says it. Your sin is what's killing you. It's making you all sick. On the flip side, there's moments where Jesus comes and he, he goes to one person. It's a guy and he heals him. But before he says that, he says, I know what you all are thinking. You're thinking, oh, what does parents do? Oh, he deserves it because the Bible does teach that when we sin, the consequences of our sin, even sickness, can be passed down to the next generation and the next generation. Is it their sin? No. Did they, did they choose a sin? No. But the consequences of our sin can literally be passed on. But he's saying, Jesus comes in and he goes, oh, would you all stop it? Nobody sinned here. This isn't because of anybody's sin. He introduces something else. He's sick so that I can be glorified. What do you do with that? The Bible clearly teaches two things. Sometimes sickness can be traced to sin in the demonic realm, and sometimes it can't. One final thought as he talks about sin. He gives the, the antidote to sin. 
What heals? He says, confess your sins to one another. Pray for one another so that you may be healed. Isn't that interesting? As he starts to, this whole process of what, what helps somebody get healed? Confession. Now, does that mean you have to, therefore, confess your sins to one another? You have to come up here and confess your sins? No. No, we don't do that. We don't practice that. It's not wise for all kinds of reasons. As we like to say, it is fraught with peril. Um, so we don't do that. What he's saying is go to someone who is mature, someone who is spiritual. You have the elders right there, but he goes on to say the prayer of a righteous person, which expands it. Part of it is elders, but I think it expands, and the word would confirm this, to confess to someone who is more mature, farther down the road than you, that will pull you towards Christ, not sit with you in the middle of it and just go, ugh, woe is us. And what I, I think what's interesting about confession is, is it, it leads, it begins to lead to healing because it starts to kill the disease of pride. It starts to kill the disease of isolation. It kills spiritual condemnation. It's like you get this injection when you confess in Christ's name and all of a sudden stuff starts getting healed in your body and in your spirit. And it brings us into community, community and, and that confession declares, I can't do this alone, I need help. It's so hard to confess your sin. I've been doing it for years, and it's still as hard as the day I started. It's so hard to confess, to say I've sinned. And he says, if we confess our sins and pray for one another, you, you may be healed, right? The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Healing will come. And as we mentioned, either with the elders or with someone who is spiritually mature, a righteous person, it, it, it works. But the promise here is, is there's this qualifier. Here's the qualifier. It's an elder or a righteous person. Well, an elder is righteous if they've you know, been vetted according to biblical standards. So what is it about this person who is righteous, and why would you go to a righteous person to have them pray for you? Well, I think a righteous person, if I understand this correctly, a righteous person has several things worked out in their life. Like, they're just rock solid, locked into it. It's who they are. It's their identity. It, it's, you just get there and you go, yeah, I, I can just see. I can tell. And, and what are those things? There's a lot of things, I would imagine. But two that strike me as it relates to this passage. And, and the first thing is, a righteous person has worked out that their life and everyone's life is here to glorify God. End of story. So no matter what happens, end of story, a person, is in, it's incumbent upon them to look at the Lord and say, I will give you glory, what now? I, I'm going to glorify you. We sing that song, you give and take away, you give and take, right? Well, we love and we'll give him glory when he gives, but... Will we give him glory when he takes? 
And a righteous person has worked it out in their heart to say, I will glorify you when you take, and I will glorify you when you give. I remember when uh, we, we miscarried, um, my wife and I, and uh, we had gone through years of struggling through infertility years, like three years or two and a half, three years. And I remember towards the end of those years uh, of I, really, I spoke against God. I was so angry. And I knew I crossed the line. You ever know that moment when you cross a line with God? Like God can process. He can handle our anger. He can handle our emotions. But there's a line where you cross over where you, are, you know you just crossed it. And I knew I did. And there was this moment of God saying, so it's only going to work this way if I just give you everything. You won't glorify me because I'm withholding what you want. And it was a struggle, and I knew, I was like, God, I'm sorry. I'm sorry I'm up here talking about this and preach about this, but I'm not living it. And uh, so we eventually got pregnant, and I remember we miscarried. And I remember that moment to say, I, I remember back, I said, Lord, I will not speak against you. I will glorify you. And we were praying for healing all the way to the hospital. Lord, give life back to this baby. Give life back to this baby. You could do this, Lord. And he didn't. A righteous person has this worked out in their heart and makes them dangerous because they will pray for the will of God and for him to be glorified above everything else. They're dangerous people to come to but they're the right people to come to. A righteous person has that worked out. A righteous person also has this worked out, the power of the cross and the resurrection of Jesus. It is deep within them. So when you go to a righteous person and you confess, you know what they're doing? They're kneeling at the cross looking at you saying, welcome to the party. Glad to see you here. I'm not standing over you. I'm not even getting up. Let's talk about forgiveness. Let's talk about confession and sin and restoration. A righteous person is dangerous because they have been honest about their sin and they know what the sin can do and the death it brings. And so when you come to somebody who is righteous, they're going to be honest about sin. They're not going to be a jerk. They're not going to be judgmental. They're not going to be harsh because they know mercy. They know forgiveness. They know all they've got is Jesus. But they also know the power of the resurrection, that you don't stay at the cross, you're, you're lifted up. Life comes. It's, it's both places, perpetually in need and always dependent on Christ and the work of the cross, but also realizing the work of the resurrection of life given to us is now. And that's what makes them even more dangerous because they're going to pray for healing and they're going to pray for restoration and they're going to know it can happen because Jesus has been raised from the dead. Why wouldn't you go to a righteous person? Who else are you going to go to? There's a qualifier, a righteous person prays these powerful prayers that are answered because they're so in tune with God and they know God's heart and they're praying God's heart. 
That's why I like praying with Ruth. I like praying with Ruth a lot because she knew God's heart. That was a righteous woman. Oh, my. Those of you who got to pray with Ruth, you know what I'm talking about. Just like, just start praying, Ruth. Just, I'm, I'm good. Just pray. I don't care what you pray. Just pray. I'm not trying to exalt her. That's, that's just her. I'm not trying to like say something that's not true. Anybody that knows her, that's Ruth. So here we are today, and I've got to confess, I wanted to preach, I wanted to preach a message that would whip us up and get us going. I did. But the problem is what happens two weeks down the road? What happens if God says no? Emotions will only last for a time. What has to hold us fast, no matter whether we get the answer or not the answer, is the truth of God. And that's what's going to hold us steady. That's what's going to hold our hearts and guide our hearts. That's what gives us confidence. That's what gives us hope. I remember I was reading a book by John Wimber. He started uh, the Vineyard Movement. And uh, they started, he's like, he's reading scripture. And he's going, why aren't we praying for healing? And why aren't we seeing healing? And he came from a cessation background, or which said, oh, that all happened back then, but doesn't happen now. And so he just started, kept on praying and praying. And he says it got frustrating because we wouldn't see answers to prayer. So why, why do it? And he says it was during those years of, of not seeing answers to prayer that God was shaping in me. Do I believe his word or not? Will I continue by faith to pray no matter what happens around me because God says I can pray and that he will heal. And he said it was an important lesson for me to understand that the word is true. It simply is true. And God says come and ask for healing and I will heal. And so we still do it, and we will not stop doing it because God says he will heal. And we're going to pray here. And if you need healing, I want to ask you, ask the Lord, do I need to come down for healing? I, I don't care if it's a emotional. I don't care if it's physical and mental. It could be spiritual. We had somebody come down who, who wanted spiritual. They just came down and said, look, I'm in this A, B, and C, and I need help. And God landed on them. It doesn't matter. He heals. We're going to have communion before we do that. And I think this is a pro if, if those who can serve communion can come down. We're going to have communion because this is where it's rooted. We just talked about a few weeks ago, Jesus, our healer. Our healing comes from this, this promise in the cross that Christ not only just took on our sins, he took on our sicknesses, our sorrows, and carried them all the way to Calvary, died, raised to life to give us healing. And if you're part of our church, uh, church family, we'd love to have you be a part of this. If, if you follow Christ and you're visiting, please join in with us. If you don't know what you believe about Jesus and you're undecided, we just ask that you refrain from taking this. It's something that's very sacred. And uh, every church kind of does this differently. We all take it at the end together. So just hold on to those elements. 
And I want you to listen to this song about Jesus. It's just, uh, let's focus on Christ and who he is because it's out of that that we find our healing and freedom.